Samuel, 1 Samuel, which is in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel chapter 14, 1 Samuel chapter 14. Whilst you're finding that, let's have a time of prayer. Dear Lord, I do pray, my Father, that you would come by the power of the Holy Spirit in this place. I pray, my Lord, that you would speak to your church, my Lord God, that you deal with us, my God. Come do a work in us and through us, my Lord God. Lord, I pray, my Lord God, that, that we'd find ourselves in these pages, my Lord God, and that you administer to each and every one of us, Lord. You know the needs of every person in this place. You know the condition of everybody's heart. And Lord God, your word is living and active, my God, and that you can meet with each and every one of us. And I pray, my God, now, my Lord, that you'd come and minister to all of us. In Jesus' name, I pray. Praise the Lord. Now, we're reading about Jonathan tonight. Jonathan is the son of King Saul. Um, it's been a few weeks before we haven't had the... I was supposed to do this last week, I was unwell. Johnny filled in. And then we never had it, the meeting. It's been about three weeks since Johnny done... Uh, I think it was Bill Boswell done. Um, yeah, three weeks ago. Um, it's a place where now the, the, Egypt, uh, the Egyptians, the Philistines... Have done a job really on the on the Israelites. Now they've encamped around them and put them under slavery, if you like. There's only two swords in Israel. Two people only had swords. That was um, King Saul and Jonathan. The rest of them never had swords. If they had ploughing shears or things to you know what a sickle is. Yeah. Yeah, olden days. Well, in order for them to get them sharpened, they had to go to the enemy. That's what happened. To get their weapons sharpened, they had to go to the enemy's camp. That's what these had to do. The Philistines had it. The Philistines was more technological advanced. They was. They had, they had ironwork, they had built chariots, they had horsemen, they had done everything. There was a real army, a real... They had everything they needed for modern warfare at that time. Skilled men. There was 3,000 men. 3,000 people come on horses and chariots. Israelites never had that. There was only two people that was allowed a sword, and that was the king and the prince. There was the only two people. So here we read, in, in chapter, verse 1, chapter 14, it says, Now it happened... The day that Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who bore his armour, Come let us go over to the Philistines' garrison, that on, that, that on the other side, but he did not tell his father. And Saul was sitting in the outskirts of Gilbeth under a pomegranate tree, which is in Migron. The people who were with him were about 600 men. He, come on, Ahijah, Ahijah, the son of Hiltab, Ichibod's brother, the son of Phineas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh, 
was wearing the ephod, but the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. I just want to stop there for a second. I just want to set the scene. So, the Philistines are all around Israel. They've encamped them, and now they've put them really... They're allowing them to be there. The Israelites, they're just allowing them to be there. And King Saul is sitting on a, if you like, uh, in, a, in a grove of trees underneath a pomegranate tree. And he's sitting there with 600 men. Beforehand, he had 2,000. They've got whittled down. There's 600 men. And then 600 men are a, a part of his fighting force. The men that he, who's around him, people that he wants around him. They haven't got swords, they haven't got weapons, but there's 600 of them. And it says there that Jonathan gave them the slip. He had went, he had gone to see something. He had gone to see whether the... Right, let's go over to the other side. Let's go to the garrisons of the Philistines. Let's go and see the camp of the Philistines. Jonathan had a plan. And we'll find that out in a minute. But he said, let's go. He didn't tell his dad. He did not tell his father. I want to tell you something about Jonathan. Jonathan was a great man. A great man. He was a great man who had a poor father. He did, generally. Saul wasn't a good man. He started off being okay. He started off being humble. And pride got hold of his life. So much so that King Saul made a sacrifice that cut his line off that Jonathan wasn't allowed to be a king. God has said, it ends with you now. Because of what you've done, King Saul, Jonathan's not going to be king. Your line's going to stop with you. Jonathan never took pride in that. You read later on about King David, how he was David's friend. He knew that David was going to be uh, the king. And he nurtured him. He looked after him. He took care of him. He was his friend. He knew that David was going to be king. And he wasn't jealous of that fact. Think about that. What an humble man that King jo- this man Jonathan was. He could have been king. He was the prince. He was the heir. He was... But he knew that God was with David. And he was allowing the, the, the God to do a work with him. And he, he, he wasn't upset about that fact. He was humble in that. We read the story of Jonathan here and, and King Saul. And King Saul is surrounded himself by 600 men. Even to the point now... We know that the priesthood, the priest line, died with Eli. Uh, Samuel is known as the prophet and judge. That's what the book of Samuel is. Samuel was a twofold. He was a, a prophet, the beginning of the prophets, but the end of the, end of the judges. And at this point, like Eli, God had already told him, like, because of you, Eli, you wouldn't deal with your children. You remember right at the beginning... When he was reading chapter 1, chapter 2, it kept going back over, didn't it? Eli wouldn't deal with his sons. Eli wouldn't deal with his sons. Eli's sons died and so did Eli. He said, it's going to die with you. None of your children's going to live long. They're all going to die. You won't listen. This is what's going to happen. But it seems here that even King Saul never took notice of that prophecy because he's he's got one of the priesthoods one of them, they're wearing uh, an ephod, which is something that the priest would wear. Do you know what it is? It's been handed down to them, but they have no power. It's something that's been handed down to them, but has no effect in their life. That's what this was. 
Here is something strange. King, uh, when you read about Eli, he never looked after his sons. He was a good man, just wouldn't take notice of his children, just let them run. A good man, his children was wild. When you read about Samuel, he was a good man. But his child, his children run wild too. He had to stop them. They was liars. He stopped them. King Saul, uh, uh, Samuel did. So we have two godly men, but have children that are ungodly. If you like. But we have King Saul, who's an ungodly man, but yet has a great son. There's a lesson somewhere in this. I cannot impart salvation to my children. I can't give them salvation. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is God's to give. But there's something that I can do. And that's bring them up in the ways of the Lord. That's what the Bible teaches us. In fact, Deuteronomy teaches that we should bring our children up in the ways of the Lord. Tell them when they sit, when they stand, when they go out, when they come in, write it on the doorpost, write it on their hearts. Let them know. Teach them the ways of the Lord. Teach them the things of the Lord. We cannot force our children to be Christians. But my God, we need to be testimonies in our own so our children know what Christianity is. They know when we face hardship, we run to the Lord, not to the world. They know that when the hardship comes, we fall to our knees, we worship the Lord. And that would be in something that would be in our children's lives. But something Jonathan did, he understood that his dad, even though that he was so called this king, so called this godly man, Jonathan found God for himself and knew that his father was a bad testimony. Jonathan knew that his dad was a bad testimony. So he found God for himself. And he was a man of God in spite of his father. You see, the other kings, the other good men, wanted their children to be saved, but just wouldn't tell them, just wouldn't do nothing with them, just wouldn't stop them from doing what was wrong. And I say this here, and I want to say this to everybody, in love, we have to be so mindful and so protective of our children. Not everything is no harm. There is plenty of harm in lots of things. And we have to be wise to these facts. Brothers and sisters, what about the next generation? What about our children? Maybe we got saved from something. Maybe we got saved and we can remember what it was like to be unsaved. Maybe the Lord's come into your life and done a work in your life. And that you've now raised your children up in a godly manner, in a godly home. They don't know what it is to, to live a wild life. They don't know what it is for their parents to be drunk and come home and have arguments. Maybe they don't know that thing. That mean arguments with one another because people do have arguments in their own. But I mean arguments with strange people, arguments with other people, bringing fights back home. Maybe they've never seen these things now. And they have a form of Christianity that's just, just religious. I want to tell every young person in here that Jesus is the greatest thing that I ever found. The greatest. Number one. I got saved at age 12 and I regret nothing. In fact, I wish I was younger. I went forward into ministry at age 19. I got asked at age 18. And I prayed about it for a year. 
What was the year that I needed to pray about? I needed to say to the Lord, yes, I'll do it now. Young age, old age, it doesn't matter. Serve the Lord. It's the greatest. It's the best. And brothers and sisters, we have to be more broken-hearted about the next generation. We can try and say, let them bring them up and let them go to church. What about the broken-heartedness that we want to see our children saved? We want to see our children going on with the things of the Lord. Our children's got to know that when we say no, we're protecting them from the rubbish of this world. Jonathan was a great man because he found the Lord for himself, in spite of his father. His father, when he first got called, might have been a good man and had a good testimony. And then it's all gone pear-shaped. It's all gone upside down. Jonathan never looked at the pear shape. He looked at what was true. And he found God for himself. And every young person, every young boy and every young girl in here, you need to find God for yourself. In spite of what your parents have got, whether they're the best Christians on the planet Earth, or whether they're the worst testimonies in the world, Jesus Christ is still sitting on the throne. He still loves you and he's still the greatest thing in this world. Amen. 100%. Jonathan was a great man in spite of his father. In spite, his father's had a form of Christianity, a weak form of Christianity, if you like. What is he doing? He's sitting with the only sword. There's only two people got swords. Only two. Jonathan's going to work with these. His father's using it like he's unright. I've got a sword. And I use it, you know, when I want to. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel... What was, Jonathan, what was Saul, King Saul doing with these swords? Absolutely nothing. What was Jonathan doing with these? He was putting it to work. He was going to work with what he had. And I want to tell you something, brothers and sisters, there's a lesson here. We need to be skilled men, skilled women with the sword. And we need to put the sword to work. What did the Bible call the sword? What do we know as the sword? Is that not the word of God? The Bible says it's like a double-edged sword, the word of God. And there's a picture here with this. King Saul had all the, all the religious regalia, if you like. A kind of like this priesthood. And there he is, this king, and he's sitting under the pomegranate tree, being allowed to be at peace. But being oppressed at the same time, not ready to go to war, not ready to fight, not ready to stand up, not ready to say, what is the Lord going to do with this situation? But there was a man, and his name was Jonathan. And he was a great man. He walked down to see what was going to take place. Verse 4, it says, Between the path, the, between... He did not know that Jonathan had gone. Between the, the passers-by, which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistines' garrison, there was a sharp rock on one side and a sharp rock on the other side. And the name of one of the rock was Boza, and the name of the other, Sen... Senen. The front of one faced northwards opposite Mishmash and the other southwards opposite Gilbath. Then Jonathan said to the young man who bore the armour, come let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. May be that the Lord will, do, uh, will work for us. For nothing strains the Lord from saving men by many or by few. Jonathan takes another. He takes this armour bearer, this young man that's with him. It's important to have a second. 
It's important to have somebody. Jesus sent them out in twos. It's better to be. It's better to go with with another. It's better to be encouragement. Two Christians will help one another. When one falls, the other one will pick them up. Paul took Silas. Paul took Mark. They were everywhere they went. There was twos. They sent them out. That's the way they went. And it's better to have brothers and sisters in your Christianity. Have a brother, have a sister that, that is there for you, that is with you, that is going to be honest with you, that is going to tell you the truth, that is going to have your back, that is going to pray with you, is going to tell you when you're wrong, tell you when you're right. Give thanks and pray for you. Have someone with you that can fight the battle with you. It's important. It's important. This armour bearer wasn't just a young little boy that just took his his shield or took his sword or took his it wasn't that this armour bearer would have been a soldier would have been a warrior would have been a fighting man this armour bearer was a skilled soldier he was a good man he was such a good man that Jonathan said let's go down to these Philistines let's go and see if the Lord's going to do a work with us and he says whatever you want to do Jonathan I've got your back I'm coming it was two good men, weren't they? I like the way that Jonathan puts this. May the Lord work for us, for nothing restrains the Lord. Jonathan doesn't know exactly what's going to take place. He doesn't. But he's putting himself in a place where the Lord can do a work with him. He's put himself in that place. Let's go over here and let's see if the Lord will do a work. He's put himself in a position... Not resting on his sword with his father. He isn't under a pomegranate tree. He isn't waiting and looking at the the 600 men, talking and having conversations. He hasn't got the old religious system that's dead and gone. He isn't. He's walked to a place where he said, let's go and see if the Lord will do a work with me. And brothers and sisters, I want to tell you something. A leap of faith is stepping out, not knowing the full answer, not knowing the, the road next to you, not knowing where you're going. Was putting yourself in a place to say, I wonder what the Lord's going to do in this situation. Let's go. Let's go and see if the Lord will do a work here. Let's go witnessing. Let's go test. Let's tell people about the Lord. Let's go over to this meeting. Let's go here. Let's go to these places. Let's see what the Lord's going to do with us. I want to tell you something. When I first went forward in, in the ministry, I didn't know this is what the Lord wanted for me. I'd never st- got saved and thought, yeah, that's exactly what I'm going to do. I, never, I, never, I knew that the Lord had called me to this. But brothers and sisters, I, 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 you're not given a blueprint. You're not given a guide to say, this is what's going to happen on your 12th birthday, and this is what's going to happen when you reach 15, and this is what's going to happen when you reach 30. You're not given that. There are many times, many times in our lives, in our Christianity, that we've been in places, but just because we've been in them places, we, 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 we're prayed up and we've put ourselves into a place that God has done a work with us. And we have to put ourselves in the places that God can do a work with us. These, these come to this place and may the Lord, look, let's go down and see, let's go down here and let's see whether the Lord's going to do something with us. But there's something in that key that Jonathan said. He said, for, for nothing restrains the Lord. Think about this. This is before David and Goliath. This is way before that. So Jonathan hasn't got these heroes of godly men that he's been slain loads. He, he knows about Joshua. He knows about these men that, that come into to the promised land. 
But he said something here. He said, God can deliver us whether by few, and he's talking about him and his armour bearer, or by many. He said, it doesn't, God doesn't need loads. He can use me and you to take over these Philistines. That's what he's saying. Do you know you and another outnumber, with God, outnumber the whole world? Jonathan and his armour bearer outnumbered the whole world. Do you know why? Because they had God on their side. Think about that for a second. You and another could quite easily outnumber the whole world. I think it was Tyndall, a great man of God, and he's, he's preached the truth, he stood up and preached the truth. And they said to him afterwards, after he preached it, he said, do you not know that what you're teaching is heresy? Do you not know the whole world is against you? And Tyndale would stand up and say, I'm against the whole world because I preach the truth in the word of God. I'm, I stand opposed to the whole world. There's a character. And these men, these, these, these men was godly men that had a character to know, listen, we can kill these Philistines, we can wipe them all out if we've God's on their side. He can save by few or by many. Verse 7. So the armour bearer said to him, Do all that's in your heart, go there, and I am with you according to your heart. Then Jonathan said, Very well, let us cross over to these men, and we will show ourselves to them. If they say to us, Wait, wait until we come down to you, then we will stand still in our place and not go up to them. But if they say to us, come up to us, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered them into our hands. And this will be the sign. That's brave, isn't it? <laughs> Quite a bit, that's brave. What's going to be the sign? Sign is, if that, the higher ground in all armies, even today, Whoever takes the higher ground wins. That's how it is. Higher ground. That's why castles were built so high so that they could shoot their arrows so easily. The higher ground, people won because they had higher ground. Every strategy, even today, higher ground is where people run to. These Philistines have got the higher ground. They're up on the mountaintop, up on this cliff. And when you read on in a second, you know that it's flat at the top. They've got the, they've got the high ground. And Jonathan says, if they say to us, wait there until we come down here, we'll do nothing. We'll just stay still. But Jonathan said, but if they say, come up here, we'll show you. And exactly what he said, that's what they said. Why don't you come up here? We'll show you what we'll do with you. And Jonathan looked at his armour bearer and went, God has delivered us today. Let's go and take them. Oh. Let's, get, let's get this job done. God needs people of bravery, you know. Not cowards. But men that's willing to put their faith in the Lord and stand. Get the job done. God, that's what God is. Jonathan was that man. And Jonathan said very well. Uh, sorry, verse... I'll say it verse 10, I'll read verse 10 again. But if they say to us, come up, 
come up, then we will go up for the Lord has delivered into the hands and that will be a sign. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines. And the Philistines looked at the Hebrews. Uh, look, the Hebrews are coming out of their holes where they have hid them, uh, where they've been hiding. Then the men of the garrison called to Jonathan and his armour bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you something. Jonathan said to his armour bearer, Come up after me, for the Lord has delivered them into, my, into the hands of the Israelites. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armour bearer after him. Think about that. That's not an easy climb, is it? That's not, that's not an easy place to climb up, is it? It's not. That's, he, he's on his hands and knees crawling up this hill or up this mountain, whatever this is. He's on his hands and knees to try and get up to the top of it. Sometimes even though that the Lord has given you a victory, sometimes the walk is still hard to get to it. You might have victory, but it's still hard to get there. He might have had the victory. The Lord has given him the victory because of only what he said. He still has to put his faith in that, didn't he? He still had to do it. And it wasn't the climb of the mountain. It wasn't whatever what was going He knew that God was going to deliver them. He knew that God was doing the work with him. He knew that God was going to deliver Israel. I like what he said here. He said, the Lord has given these men into the hands of Israel. He never said that he's given them into my hands. It's me. There's no me in that. He's given them into the hands of Israel. He climbs up with his, on his hands and knees and his armour bearer after him. They fit after him. They fell before Jonathan and as he came up after his armour bearer killed them. Sorry, I'll read that again. Um, Verse 13, and Jonathan climbed up on his hands and knees with his armour bearer after him. There fell before Jonathan and he, he came up after his armour bearer killed him. That first slaughter which Jonathan, his armour bearer made, was about 20 men within half an, half an acre of land. So they get to this top of this ground. They get up. It isn't like he's took them by surprise. They've told him to come up and there he's gone. Hands and knees. However he's got up there, he's up there. Pulls his sword. And as he's got a sword, remember he's putting his sword to use. What's his father doing? Nothing. But he's got his sword to use. And as he's using his sword, as he's going through them, he's cutting them. And they're falling down. And as they're falling down... The armour bearer hasn't got a sword. The armour bearer's got club. And as they're falling, the armour bearer is beating them. He's killing them, making sure that they're dead. And there's 20 of them in an area of about half an acre. 20 men, he's slaughtering 20 men within half an acre. Jonathan and the armour bearer. There's only two of them. There's only two of them. This is... Where the Lord steps in. Verse 15. And there was a trembling in the camp, in the field, among all the people. 
the garrison and the raiders, the trembling, the, the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. Now the watchman of Saul in Gilgath of Benjamin looked and there was a multitude melting away and they went and they went here and there. Then Saul said to the people who were with him, now call the roll and see who has gone from us. And they, heard, they had called the roll, surprising Jonathan and his arm. Surprisingly, Jonathan and his armour bearer were not there. So they get up to the top. There's a great trembling. There's a fear come across the Philistines. God steps in with an earthquake. Starts to shake the ground. I want to tell you something. Jonathan was doing the possible and God was doing the impossible. Jonathan was doing what, God, what he had in his heart to do. God, Jonathan was being faithful. He was doing the possible, but it was God that was doing the impossible. And brothers and sisters, in every situation, God doesn't ask of you any more than you, will, than you can do. He doesn't ask of you to walk on water. He'll do the impossible. You just do what's possible. You just step out in faith. And that's what, Jonathan, that's what was going on here. Jonathan stepped out in faith and God was doing the impossible. Jonathan couldn't bring an earthquake, could he? Could Jonathan? No, he couldn't do it. But God did. Why did God do that? <clears throat> Jonathan was doing the possible. God was doing the impossible. Do the possible, brothers and sisters. And allow God to do the impossible. Just do the possible. Let's not be lazy like King Saul. Let's be ready like Jonathan. What a man Jonathan was. So there he's called. Who is it that's gone? What, what's happening here? All the, we, you see the Philistines melting away. They've all gone. They're running. King Saul wants to look about now. What's going on? He's still these Philistines running away. Who's gone amongst us? He knew that somebody had gone. It was, he knew that somebody had caused this. And surprisingly, it was Jonathan and the armour bearer was not there. And Saul said to Hildjad, Bring the ark of God here. For the time of the ark of God was with the children of Israel. For at that time, the ark of God was with the children of Israel. What's going on here? He's called for the ark. Bring the ark. Let's do. Let's get the, the religious ceremonies out of the way, eh? Let's get the religious things done. The arm. The battle is being won by Jonathan putting his faith in the Lord. What is Saul doing? Go and get the ark of the covenant. The fight's over there. He wants to go and get the Ark of the Covenant. For what reason? There was no reason for this. It was only because maybe King Saul wanted to be a bit more religious or tried to invoke what God was trying to do. But it had long gone. King Saul had long left the Lord by this time. The pride had set in. Now he's just full of religious ceremony. Brothers and sisters, we can't be like that. Just because something's gone wrong at home or something's happening, you come to church. God is gracious. God does allow for that. But it isn't so, God isn't something that you pull out when times are going wrong, is it? Jesus wants to be your steering wheel, not your spare wheel. 
Not, not when everything's going wrong, do you want to call upon... Let's do the religious things now. Everything's going wrong. I've got sicknesses, I've got illnesses. I'm not, I'm not making belittle because God can move in them situations. But is it not just religious that you only use God when you need him? Surely the rest of the world do that. Surely everybody else in the whole world gets a bit religious when they need something from the Lord. God can use that. But you can see how far Saul's gone. Because now the hand of the Lord is moving, he wants to get a bit religious. And that's not right. Jonathan's taking the battle. Why not go and meet your son? Why not run over there? What's he doing? Go and get the ark. For what reason? Now it happened plainly why Saul was talking to the priests that the noise which was in the camp of the Philistines continued to increase. So Saul said to the priests, withdraw your hands. Then Saul and all the people who were with him assembled. They went to the battle and indeed every man's sword was against his neighbour and there was a very great confusion. Now that's talking about the Philistines. There was a, such a confusion. Two men, as only calls this, two men got up, the might of the Lord caused this, uh, this fight. People started to run. I don't know what's happening. Earthquakes come up and God has sent confusion amongst them. They're, they're drawing swords on one another. They're killing one another. The Philistines are killing one another. There's so much of a confusion that they turn on one another. Moreover, the Hebrews who were with the Philistines before that time, who went up with them into the camp from the surrounding country, they also journeyed. The Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan, likewise, all the men of Israel, who had hidden in the mountains of Ephraim, when they heard that the Philistines fled, they also followed hard after them in the battle. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle shifted to Beth. Adam. That's where I'm going to stop. The beauty of this here, because Jonathan stood up for the things of the Lord, stood up and done the work of the Lord, because Jonathan stood up and done what God wanted him to do, that he took bravery, he took courage and he started. Do you know what he caused? Everybody to fall back in line. He caused everybody to cut, let's gather now. He caused everybody to be a part of that work, part of that fight. Started with two, and then they all come and got involved. All those that was hiding, all those that was in that place, all those that was, that was waiting, all those that was afraid of the Philistines. And brothers and sisters, these two men done a great work. Jonathan done a great work, and he was a great man. Do you understand now how much of a relationship Jonathan and David had? David slaughtered Goliath. He killed Goliath. He was only a shepherd boy. He was only a young boy. He killed Goliath. But Jonathan knew what it was like to be used by God. He knew what it was like doing that same thing. So these two men had a relationship, had a, had a love for one another because they both knew the Lord, because they both had a relationship with the Lord, because they both put their faith in the Lord. And here we have Jonathan, this man whose father was 
long since gone. Lived on his, it lived on his pride of life and how he's got money, how he's got things, how he's got people around him. And then Jonathan's met with the Lord truly. And Jonathan never looked at his father's testimony, but he sought the Lord for himself. And because Jonathan sought the Lord for himself, God done a work with Jonathan. What, what, I don't want to say story, because this is fact, this is reality, this is what happened. But what a point these people, what, what's going on here with Jonathan? God has poured in, but he's put himself in the place to be used by God. He's looked to the Lord. He hasn't cowered back, but he stood up and he's run and he's done the work of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, that's a testimony to us, is it not? We can stand up and do the work of the Lord. We have to take courage. We have to stand by faith. The point is here for all of us. Let us do the possible and let God do the impossible. Amen. Let's pray.